Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. All right, well, let's study God's Word together. Uh, Kids, if you are joining us, would you run and grab a piece of paper right now? Uh, Maybe something to write with, something to draw with, maybe some colors to color that in. Adults who are joining, grab your Bible. Uh, Make sure you have that with you. Grab a piece of paper to take some notes. If you want to go to our website... Uh, EdenWorshipCenter.co backslash live stream. You can get the sermon notes. Just click on the sermon title, uh, Hebrews 4, 1 through 7, and it'll give you the announcements for today uh, and the the fill-in-the-blank sermon notes for today. We'll also drop those on Facebook. You can go to the description in this video and get those as well. It's going to give you some of these resources uh, at the end, our family discussion and prayer guide, uh, so you can help lead your family to understand what is God saying to us, what is he speaking to us from this passage, and today, how should that call us to trust in Christ more? This passage we're going to be looking at is a giant picture for us of salvation. The people of God in Exodus that we spent so long studying, that God brought out of slavery in Egypt... It images, it mirrors our slavery to sin that God rescues his people from. This promise of rest, the promise of a land of freedom, the promised land for God's people is an image for us of that freedom from sin here on earth, but also that promise of eternal glory with God in heaven, in a new heaven and earth. Uh, But yet, in this picture we're going to read together, they reject God's offer of salvation. They rebelled and they choose their own way, as our hearts are so prone to do. So kids, I I want to talk especially to you right now, right right before we read this passage. Uh, Kids, as we read this, I want you to be thinking about your own heart, your own responses to things. How do you feel? What do you think when someone tells you what to do? Even when you know it's the right thing to do, what what does your heart do? I think it does the same thing that my heart does. It, It pushes back and says, why do I have to do that? There's something in us that wants to rebel. We want to harden our heart, and every time we see that, every time God reminds you of that, by the way, this is good uh, advice for the adults as well. We should pray this prayer, Jesus, please change my heart. Please don't let me be that kind of person. Kids, keep that in your mind as we read this passage, as we talk about it today. But why don't you stand with me right now? Let's honor the word of the Lord as we read together. Our passage today is Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. But we're going to back up to get the context here, the flow of what's being said. So we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in your rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? 
And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest. And he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is alive and powerful and active, able to pierce into our hearts and soul. God, I thank you that your word can speak even when my flesh feels so weak, even when my, my brain feels so weak because of this virus. Let your word pierce through our hearts and soul. Let it be your word that does your work in your people today, we ask in the name of Jesus, our one and only sacrifice, the only mediator between man and God, our only hope of salvation in his name, we ask, O oh God, Speak to your people. Amen. So kids, let's start off with this. What's something that you're afraid of? In fact, what's the thing in this world that you are most afraid of? I asked you earlier, grab a piece of paper. So uh, why don't you just, while we're talking, why don't you start drawing that? Draw a picture of something that you are most afraid of. For the adults, before we jump into this text together, I want to point your attention to one specific word that is here. It's in chapter 4, verse 1, and it is the word fear. It's the word fear if you have the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the King James Version, or the New American Standard Version, or the Revised Standard Version, those that are a literal translation, it should say the word fear. But if you have the word NIV, it's a little bit unhelpful here, because it says, therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful. Except, Christian, that is not the actual word that is used. The word for fear here comes from the Greek word phobos. It's where we get our modern word of phobia. It's this idea to frighten or to terrify. In fact, it's sometimes used in the way to say it scared you to make you run away. The New Living Translation, which is not actually a translation, it's a paraphrase, but it does a surprisingly good job with this word. It says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands, so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. 
It does really good right up until the end where it puts the weight on failing to experience it. I I think experience, number one, it's a bad translation of that Greek word, uh, but it's also dangerous for us in our time because we have sort of believed and uh, imbibed the idea in the modern church that experience is the key. That, that's become our soteriology, our, our understanding of salvation and therefore how the church should conduct itself, that we have believed that experience is the key. If we can just get people in the right worship experience, if we can just get them to experience the supernatural, to experience the miraculous, if we can just get them to come to an experience of the church enough times, it will eventually fill up their cup and lead them to salvation. I want to just tell us that that does not fit with the Protestant idea of salvation. That's actually the Roman Catholic understanding of a merit-based salvation, that if you spend enough time doing this, you're going to build up enough merit. Only it dangerously adds to that in our Protestant uh, twist on that, that if you get here enough, then you'll be smart enough. You'll finally take in enough Jesus that you understand it. And here's the actual word that's used. It's not an experience. It's not building up enough times in church. It says that you should fear that you might fail to reach it. That you, the Greek word actually means to stop short or to show up late. Be afraid that you might actually be here that you might sit among God's people week after week, year after year, and still fail to reach it. Verse 15 again, as it said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who was it? Was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. I want to consider just three things quickly in these verses leading up to the passage we're looking at today that I think the writer of the Hebrews demands that we not miss. Number one, and this is a fill in the blank for you, so if you have printed that out, you can fill it in. If not, just jot it down on your paper. Disobedience is the fruit of unbelief. It's not the root of the problem. Your sin, your disobedience isn't the root of the problem. It is the fruit of it. It is growing out of the fact that you had unbelief. Disobedience is the fruit of unbelief. Here's why we should think about that. Our normal thought is that our actions, our sin, our rebellion are the problem. Uh, Why am I a bad person? Because I did this bad thing. No, the problem really is that they heard the message. We have heard the message Only we failed to hear it as good news. We failed to hear it as something that is true. And we failed to believe God's plan and intention towards us in it were good. It was unbelief. Because we did not actually believe the message we heard from God, we rebelled. It's because of that that we disobeyed. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing here that I think is so important uh, that... He intentionally focuses our attention on by saying, who was it? Who was it? Who was it that heard and yet rebelled? Verse 16, was it not all those who left Egypt by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned? Oh, Christian, listen to me. This was with those who counted themselves part of God's people. 
who day after day walked alongside God's people. It was those who had firsthand experience of God's power to save and deliver his people. And yet still, here's what they said. I will only follow if we do it my way. I will only follow if it's how I think things should be. Not how the church says. Not how Moses says. Not how God says. How I think things should be. And here's the third thing to consider just quickly from this passage. What was God's response to that? How does God respond to hearts that say things like that to him? Well, that's actually the central idea of this passage that we're looking at together. So please do not gloss over it. Please do not minimize it. It says they rebelled, they rebelled, they provoked God for a time. God allows this to go on for a time, but then God swears in verse 18, they will never enter my rest. Chapter 4, verse 3, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Chapter 4, verse 5, and again, they shall not enter my rest. Talking, uh, quoting from Psalm 95. Because of that, we see this dire warning. Because of God's wrath, their bodies fell in the wilderness. They did not enter God's rest. Even Moses fails to enter the promised land. Now, some of us might hear that and go, oh, yes, but I I read past Exodus. I, I know what comes in the book of Joshua. I know what comes in the book of Judges as they enter into the promised land. Didn't Joshua lead them into the promised land? Well, the truth is we see God's people in that continuing story of the Old Testament entering into the land that God had sworn to their forefathers to give them, only we never see them truly looking to God as king. Instead, demanding a king who looked like them and sounded like them and thought like them because he would do things their way. If you keep reading into the book of Judges, you're going to find the refrain again and again from the people who look like God's people inside the promised land And the people did what was right in their own eyes. Not, and the people trusted in the Lord their God. Not, and the people submitted themselves to the kingship of their God. No, they did what was right in their own eyes. That's why next week, back in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to read in verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. Oh, Christian, listen to me. It was entirely possible for God's people to enter the promised land and not enter his rest. It is entirely possible for you to sit in the pew, in the church, to walk alongside of God's people and never enter his rest. That's why Back in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19 says, So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, verse 1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Again, this is one of the fill in the blanks for you. My sin, my disobedience reveals areas of unbelief in my heart. They did not cause it. Your sin did not cause that unbelief. 
Your unbelief led to that sin. And God uses that in his grace, in his mercy, to reveal the areas in our heart where we are failing to trust in him. Oh, but where we see that sin, where we see that unbelief, if it is not fully repented of, the Bible clearly calls us right here to fear. And yet in the middle of that warning, oh, Christian, hear the gentle call, the invitation that still stands. Don't miss this. The promise of entering his rest still stands. This offer is still available. Oh, we have these beautiful twin truths, these truths that God sovereignly calls, God sovereignly elects those to salvation, and we still have the opportunity to joyfully respond. Romans chapter eight, verse, uh, chapter nine, verse 18 says, so then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. We see God's sovereignty in election. And yet it, still this twin truth to that, that leaps off of the page to us here in Hebrews where he says that is true. But today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Oh, we have this Old Testament example of God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, and yet he calls to you, believer, today. Oh, if you hear it today, don't harden your heart. Trust in Christ. Put your hope in Christ today. It is not too late for you if you can hear these words. Submit yourself to him today. Acts chapter 3, verse 19 to 21 It starts off in verse 17 saying, God knew that you were ignorant, that God, he knew you didn't know these things in the past. But in verse 19, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Oh, now that you know, turn to God. Verse 20, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Can you hear the echo of rest in there? The echo to those who were standing in the promised land, only in that day, it did not belong to them yet. But in Christ you can turn and times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed to you for Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke through the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. R.C. Sproul, the late theologian who died just a couple years ago, was masterful in his description of this difficult doctrine of uh, the election of the saints and yet the saints' joyful response to the Lord. He, he said, man must choose to submit himself to God's will. And yet, here's, here's the quote, yet there is a God who is sovereign, whose will is greater than ours, whose will restricts my will. My will cannot restrict his will. When he decrees something sovereignly, it will come to pass whether I like it or not, whether I choose it or not. He is sovereign and I am subordinate. Oh, Christian, here's what should give you hope today. As much as we say and purpose in our heart, I will follow after God, I will submit myself to his will, we know that there are times where our faith is shaken We know there are times where we fall short of the glory of God. And listen, our hope is not in the fact that you can hold tight to him, but that he can hold tight to you. Oh, and so like David, when we see our sin, when we're confronted with that, we don't just shake our head and say, I guess I should give up. No, we quickly and joyfully repent because in Christ, God has made a way for you to repent. 
Oh, but we look at this illustration given for us in the children of Israel, and we should ask ourselves, why did they miss it? Why reject not just the offer of salvation, but the God who offered salvation? Verse 2, back in Hebrews 4, says, For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Speaking of those in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, he says surprising words. They heard good news. That's the same Greek word that we get the word gospel from. They heard the gospel preached to them just like us. He says it again in verse 6. Those who formerly received good news and yet failed to enter. That should make us as New Covenant believers stop and say, wait, I I thought the Old Testament was about uh, law and keeping the law of God and the New Testament was about grace. No, no, no. There's only been one way to salvation for all time. And that is through Christ. In the Old Testament, it was, it was prefigured in the sacrifices that were to come, but the seeds of the gospel were there, that there was a substitute who would take the wrath of God because of our sins. They heard it, that your sin has separated you from God, not, not just separated you from his love and his presence, but it has invoked his wrath towards you. But there's a promise Every lamb was a promise of a substitute yet to come. Yet we in the new covenant, in the new testament, on this side of the cross, have the same temptation. The same tendency today as they did in the old covenant. We want to see our religion. We want to see our holiness, our walk with God, become about knowing all the right answers. Knowing all the commands of God, knowing all the laws of God so that I can get it right. And when I don't get it right, I sort of give myself a pass because I say, well, I'm human. But I at least want to know it enough where I can look down my nose at somebody else and tell you where you're getting it wrong. Oh, but Paul Washer says it beautifully. He says, we don't study God's word to be smarter than the next man, but to behold the glory of God. It's one of your fill-in-the-blanks. Let me read it one more time to you. We don't study God's word to be smarter than the next man, but to behold the glory of God. Verse 3 says, For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter that rest. And then comes this surprising twist, this surprising verse in there that almost seems out of place. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken somewhere, that somewhere, by the way, is Genesis 2-2, that on the seventh day, in this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, quoting again from Psalm 95, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Remember that this is a giant picture of salvation. This is a giant illustration being made for us in the children of Israel of God's people entering God's rest, entering God's salvation. And so he points us back to the promised land, but then he points through that, through the the slavery and the coming out of uh, Exodus in Egypt, all the way back to creation. And he says, God has planned all things. God has willed all things into existence. He is the creator of all things, and therefore he owns all things. Back at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10, 11 said, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
His work as creator has been finished since the foundations of the world. And yet, every, here's, the, here's the picture. Here's why he brings this up. Every Sabbath where his people choose to stop and rest is meant to remind us of his finished work as creator and owner of all things. His finished work as redeemer and savior was finished on the cross. And yet every Lord's Day when his people choose to stop and rest is meant to remind us, to demonstrate, to point all of the world around us to the finished work of our God who saves and redeems. We said a couple weeks ago that God is painting a self-portrait of himself in us. This is one of the fill in the blanks for you. Consider this, every time we rest on the Lord's day, we acknowledge his finished work and we choose to trust in his rest. Every time we stop, every, every time we set aside a day as holy to the Lord, when we cease from our work, we're pointing to the fact that in creation, God has finished all things. In salvation upon the cross, God has completed all things to bring us to himself. This is why he's going to go on in Hebrews chapter 10 and say we should not neglect meeting together. Yes, it's good for you. It is beneficial to your soul. It's beneficial to your family. It's beneficial to your eternity to gather, to meet with God's people. But the bigger reason is that every time we do it, it's like we, we point a giant sign towards heaven and say, this is the God who saves. This is the God who created all things. This is the God who has, in the cross, saved his people. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appointed a certain day, today saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Oh, I would beg you today, hear those words. If you hear his voice, if he calls to you from the pages of scripture, if his spirit testifies within your heart, calling you to trust in him, do not harden your heart. Our passage today begins and ends with these words today. This call today, choose to follow. He's finished his work from all eternity, and yet he calls you today to actively take that step to trust in him. You must respond today. Not someday, not another day, not in the future, not tomorrow, because the reality is tomorrow never comes. No, today you must respond John MacArthur says it like this, if demons believe and tremble and yet are not saved, what does it say about those who profess to believe and don't even tremble? Well, the writer to the Hebrews calls us to fear. That's not a word we hear in church very much as a command to fear. And yet he says, you should Fear, walking alongside God's people and never being one of God's people. You should fear sitting in a pew week after week and year after year, but never putting your trust in the living God, but trusting in your own self and your own merit and your own religion to save you. Here in that warning, the echo of the promise from Acts chapter 2, verse 39 
on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on fearful believers, and the Apostle Peter says, this promise is for you. It's for you, it's for your children, it's for those who are afar off, all that the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise of salvation is for you today if you hear it. Please don't harden your heart. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, it is almost too much for us to consider that you would still call wayward sinners to yourself. Sinners like us. Sinners who have heard good news in the past and yet rejected you and said, God, I will do things my own way. To our own harm and our own peril, we have chosen to rebel against you, and yet you still in love and mercy call us to yourself. I pray for my friends. I pray for those right now who are hearing this message go out. God, don't let your word return void. Let it be your word that does your work in your people. Oh God, speak today. Call them today to respond. And I pray right now for people who were hearing this, who have thought for so long, I am in. I'm part of God's people. I'm a Christian because I've gone to church for all these years. I pray that today you would cause them to trust in Christ unto salvation. Not trust in themselves, not trust in the power of the church or their own merit, but to trust in Christ alone to save. And as their hearts cry out because your spirit enables them to cry out, I pray, oh God, you would save them. From the oldest to the youngest, right now, I pray, oh God, salvation. Not because of anything that we do, but by faith alone, through grace alone, as it comes through Christ alone, would you show yourself again powerful to save, we pray, oh God. Not, not just for us, God. We, we benefit greatly from that salvation. Lord, eternally and right now being joined together with God's people. But we pray, do it, O God, for the sake of your great name on this earth. Would you use our lives again to paint a picture of yourself as the God who not only creates all things, but then calls and saves and redeems. God, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to challenge you right now. If God has stirred in your heart, if God has called you to faith and salvation, I want you to do something with it. Even as you prayed along with that, I want you to talk to somebody, text somebody, call somebody, say, man, I actually think that was me. I've maybe gone to church for a long time. Maybe I've never gone to church. And yet in hearing that, I was so convicted I have not trusted Christ. Would you let somebody know? And then for those of you who are part of the EWC family, I want to challenge you to take that next step past that as well. I want you to sit down either now or this afternoon with your family and talk about some of these things. Start having a conversation with your children about these things. Here's some of the questions you can use. What's that thing, kids, that we asked you earlier that you're most afraid of? What, what's something in your life that terrifies you? And then sit down as a family and again read together Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, all the way through chapter 4, verse 7. Both todays, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And then let's talk about, should we be afraid? What does it mean to be afraid of God's wrath? Why should or why shouldn't we be afraid of that? And then pray together. Pray for salvation. If you haven't trusted in Christ, 
Oh, it's so simple. As the Holy Spirit enables you to just cry out to God, Oh God, please save me. Please help me to trust in Jesus for salvation. Pray for faith to trust in Christ. Maybe you're already a believer and yet you find it so difficult, especially in days like this, when times are difficult and it just seems like curveball and change after change comes your way. Pray that God would give us faith to trust in Christ. Pray that God would help us to believe his word and to live lives that honor him. And it's, it's never been more important in dark days that we live in, in uncertain days that we live in, for God's people to act like God's people, to believe like God's people, to trust in Christ like God's people. And my prayer is that God would enable you to do that in your life, in your family, uh, where you work, no matter what the circumstances are, to put your trust in him. And so God, I just pray God's, uh, your blessing on your people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us. Again, check out our website, EdenWorshipCenter.co. More information. If you responded uh, to the call for salvation today, would you please let us know? Uh, If you have a prayer request, would you let us know? If you want to give tithes and offerings, again, you can go to that website. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. You're dismissed.